Good to see you here this afternoon. Those of you joining us online, uh, good to have you communicating with us uh, via email and message. Uh, I know I'm encouraged uh, by the messages that we've been receiving, how you've been blessed by our time here this afternoon's at Hope for Today. You know, I say it every week. I don't think I need to preface it like this every week, but it's okay. I'm looking forward to this message this afternoon. I know personally this uh, series um, has been very encouraging in my life and also eye-opening. There's a promise of scripture as we read his word that he just opens our eyes to see God's wonder, his marvelous acts and what he can do when we give him all our attention, when we get, put our faith in him. Have you been encouraged by the series so far? Lame man walking. Come on, right? It should encourage you, give you faith. We're singing in that song. We're believing there's healing that lame men walk. We believe that God can open deaf ears, that he can restore the sight of the blind, that he can transform hearts. He can transform hearts. And before we get into the message today, I want to put a disclaimer out there, if, if you will. For us at Hope for Today, we believe and want everything that God has for us. We believe he's the hope for today. We're not chasing after a specific sign. We're not chasing after a group of signs. We're believing that the signs attest to who God is. And his presence is among us. But we don't need the signs in order to believe. Amen? So just putting that out there for those, I know I get questions, you know, we're not just signs and wonders chasers, you know, and those kind of things. So be encouraged today, we believe in the whole word of God. And so we want to get there this afternoon, a little bit of recap, we're in Acts chapter 4, last week we were in chapter 3, and we saw Peter and John, through faith in Christ, and the laying on of hand, with the layman at the gate, that his ankle bones, his feet were restored and he leaped and began to walk, dancing and praising God well into the temple of God. said in Acts chapter three, verse six, but Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And I have to tell you, I am thankful that God who spoke, God who worked miracles, signs and wonders still is in that business today. I believe in my own life, I'm a living testament of the hand of God. I believe he still wants to work, but in many ways, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his signs. He's also not going to force his wonder-working power on those who don't want it. And so as we see, Peter and John said, hey, just so there's no mistake, we don't own this power. It was God and God alone through faith in his son because the father said, I will glorify my son my anointed chosen one, the savior of the world. And so we see this healing the lame man was a fulfillment of the prophecy concerning Messiah. And so before we go into chapter four, I wanted to share this verse in scripture that I thought I shared last week, but I didn't. And it was speaking to the prophecy of the fulfillment of the Messiah who was to come. 
Check this out. Isaiah 35, verse 6. Then the lame will leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah to come, that in him people would be healed. That the lame, hello, the man at the gate, he's leaping with joy, he's praising God. That people in the crowd are astonished, they're praising God. And he's able to fulfill to the full all who look to him and have faith in him. So that's where it's going to bring us to today. I want you to keep a few things in mind as we look to Acts chapter 4, that when people, when we come in contact with Jesus, our lives are never the same. Our lives are never the same. Do you believe that? I know when I read scripture, I read it through, whether it's an account of Christ and the people he's come to contact with, or his followers, I'm like, oh my goodness, he just changed my life again. Sometimes there's a little bit of a reality check. Sometimes a little bit of a reorientation of how I think about things and go about things. And it was no different for the people in Jesus' time because when they came face to face with Jesus, that they had this heart transformation. Now, you didn't have to see Christ in the flesh and blood to have a heart transformation because you and I are living proof by faith in Christ that our lives have been transformed. Amen. I can say, I can attest to you, as you do as well, that my heart has been changed. But as we know, as we've looked at Acts chapter 3 and as we go into 4, there's also those who didn't want to encounter that transformation. In a way, they wanted to remain on the outer perimeter, kind of watching, somewhat observing, but not diving in, if you will. Jesus said, all who come to me, I I will fill them, right? Out of them will flow rivers of living water. But some did want to jump in the river. It's just like when you take swimming lessons at a young age as a child. Some just don't want to jump in. No, I want to stay on the edge. I don't want to jump in. You know, the lifeguard's saying, well, just jump in. Your life's going to change. You're going to learn how to swim. Amen. So here we're going to see in Acts chapter 4 that there were those who received Christ. Their lives were changed. But there were those who were not to the point where they were gutted to the core with jealousy. Judged to the core with jealousy and this fervor to prosecute God's chosen man. So here we have these two, right? Fervor of God's children who believe in him and the fervor of those who are on the outs, who prefer to be on the outs. So leading up here, Peter and John, they've healed this lame man. They've testified who this happened through by faith in Jesus Christ. And now the leaders, the rulers, the People in power want to have a word with Peter and John. They're not happy. And so these leaders are the same ones six weeks prior that conferred together against Christ to try and put a stop to this movement. Here they thought, we've put an end to this. We have kiboshed this movement, this revolution, if you will, of this so-called Messiah. Or so they thought. Or so they thought. And so what I want to emphasize here as we go into today's message is that what God wills, his will will see it through. What God wills, his will will see it through. And so the message for today is courage under fire. God's will will see it through. 
Sometimes in life, we experience a mob, a woke mob in some respects. No different from the day of Christ and the followers. Here we have, in Acts 4, as we're about to read, the mob was pressing in. They were under fire. They were under constant attack, if you will. But we're going to see this courage that Peter and John had. So let's go to Acts chapter 4. And beginning right at uh, verse 1. It says, while they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain, the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Just think about that. The church is on the move. The church is growing as people share and testify about Jesus. And so they come before this leadership, it says, verse 5, the next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power and what name have you done this? And here's the key in verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing here before you healthy. Healthy. This Jesus is a stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, remember that, uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let that just sink in for a second. Untrained, uneducated, uneducated and untrained. Here we see by the very power and moving of God that they were able to persuade a number of people in faith, even though they hadn't gone to seminary, they hadn't been in with the elite, the intellectual elite or the power base of the day, but they were those vessels desiring and willing to be used by God. Now, this isn't a knock against intellectualism or being trained or educated. I, for one, know the benefit of it in my own life, of learning and studying. The Bible says, Paul said, to study, to show yourself approved. But here it's all about the heart. God can use a pliable heart that wants to be used by him. Here we see point A, a Peter and John were those kind of folk, and the followers of Christ were also. And so here they are, they're standing before them, and I love this, verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
They had nothing to say in opposition. Opposition, sorry. Here's the example of why Jesus works in wonders, why he does these things, because sometimes people won't believe. They need those signs, but he gives testament, as we saw with Thomas, as I shared earlier, that he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, and yet he's willing to show these signs to show his presence amongst them. And so it says in verse 15, after they ordered them to leave the Sahandrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And we cannot deny it. For me, this is a great encouragement that in life, you know, we have these conversations, don't we? We maybe share these opportunities with people of sharing our faith of how God has worked in and through our life. Where we can say, you know what, I don't exactly have this thing all figured out, but I have to tell you that circumstance in my life and how it just came full circle in just such a perfect, harmonious way, that was God. And here we see Peter and John are trying to be censored like a lawyer, cease and desist. But the leaders of the day are having a hard time because, wait a second, the man that was healed is here amongst us. We have a hard time speaking against this because of the proof. Because of the proof. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this part is that when we have a transformed heart, that's part of the proof in the pudding, if you will, that we've been with Jesus. When we no longer want the things that the world wants, People will take notice of that. Some receive it, some oppose it. Somewhere along the line, and I, I mean, I've been to conferences and stuff, somewhere along the line, when, when the prosperity gospel became very popular, there was this message of, you know, you're only going to have health, wealth, and happiness, and you're never going to face any opposition. And we know, for one, that's not true. I know growing up in a Pentecostal church, that was never preached. In fact, it says, in this life, you will have trouble. Jesus said, in this life you will face persecution, but do not lose heart, for I have overcome the world. And so here, Peter and John, remember, they were with Jesus. It's like the lights came on. They were with him. They saw him walk and talk amongst them. They saw him engaging in ministry, healing people, transforming people's hearts as he shared kingdom truth. And so point number one that I want to emphasize here is to remain calm when under fire. Remain calm when under fire. I can't say that I do that. I can't say that I remain calm when bullets of verbs are flying. Here we see Peter and John, they must have been, because they're flesh and blood like us, aware of what was going on around them, that this could potentially lead to their death. Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must pick up your cross. Right? Deny yourself and follow me. Maybe this meeting, this Sahandrin that crucified our Lord six weeks prior, this might be our day. This might be our day. So here we see Peter and John are facing this woke mob. The same mob that Jesus faced and they're facing off. They're looking in the eyes of this firing squad, if you will. But I have to believe that they were encouraged because Jesus faced the same Sahandrin, the same leaders, all the way to that cross. 
all the way to that cross. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. I'm sure that many of us have read it. It talks about a call to endurance. A call to endurance. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus considered it joy to go through what he went through so he could go to the cross on our behalf for our benefit so that he could also, I believe, blaze a trail for us to follow. This is the way. This is how you remain cool and calm under fire. Cool and calm under fire. And so as we think about that, as we ponder that, let's go to Luke chapter 22 for a moment. Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at that group, leaders of the Sahandrim, and how they came against Jesus Christ. And we're going to see in chapter 22, verse 63. And so he's been seized, Jesus has been seized by a temple guard. And it says here, the men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, prophesy, who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him, but we know that he kept calm. We know that he kept calm. And as he continued on here, it says, When the daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and scribes, convened and brought him before the Sahandrin. And they said, if you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so they asked, are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. You say that I am. In verse 71, why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. Here, Jesus, you know, there's no denying you say I am. Jesus knew who he was. He was firm in his identity. He wasn't having an identity crisis. He had this cool, calm reserve. He knew how to dance with the leaders of this council. He knew how to dance with the enemy. Sometimes we have to dance a little bit in the midst of the opposition. Sometimes we, while we're being aware, we're not disheartened, but we, we do the dance. So here we see Jesus, he's in the crosshairs. He remains calm because he's staying true to the course. He's staying true to the course. And so I want to encourage this afternoon that there will always be those who'll try to push us around, right? Or try to knock us 
off course. Try to push us around and knock us off course. I'm seeing the heads, I'm seeing the heads bobbing. Yep, that happens, absolutely. In Jesus' day, these followers face a number of threats. What I found interesting in reading this, we see that there was a large number of these religious elite, the intellectual, the power base, as I said, because they forgot their first love. Here's the condition, the disease that entered their heart. They forgot their first love and it turned around, it changed their heart that it became all about them. They were in it for themselves. Their mission, it's amazing. Every time I read this, I'm thinking, wow, God ordained from the beginning of time for the Jewish people to be his representatives, his light bearers, his beacon of hope in the world to point people to God. And so rightfully so, their mission was to point people to the Messiah. And here he was. Here Jesus was in their midst. You say that I am. Are you the Messiah? You say that I am. He's not denying it. He's not denying it. And yet they were opposed. They took it all the way to the Roman governor, professing, pleading that they would crucify Christ. And so in the same way, we see the leaders here of the Sanhedrin with Peter and John in verse 16. Stop it. Everything you're doing, the preaching that you're doing about Jesus Christ, stop it. Verse 16, saying to them, what should, what should be done with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone, living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Wow, stop it. The, the, the legal religious elite here have slapped them with a gag order. Stop this or else. Sometimes in parts of the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing this today. Stop it or you'll be put to death. Their Bibles are taken out of their hands and they have to rely on meditation and memory of God's word. They have to meet in basements. They have to meet underground. And yet here we are, and wonderful, I'm thankful for the blessing we have at this point in season and time. Our day is coming, however. But at this point in time, the benefit that we can open God's word in public and read it for ourselves. Isn't that wonderful? But the day is coming when we will, in many ways, like Jesus said, stand before those who oppose God. And what would we say? Would we say, oh yeah, sorry, you know, you know what, you're right. Maybe it's a little offensive. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. In many ways, COVID in ways shows us that this is a reality. And I'm not noking what decisions have been made uh, regarding how to handle COVID, but I think this paves a path. And it you know, calls us to attention here that when people ask us to stop it, how will we respond? Will we lash out? Or will we remain cool and calm under fire? And I'm preaching to myself, Andrew, to remain cool and calm because as part of Team Jesus, like Peter and John, we need to, in the midst of circumstance, not be dissuaded. Amen. Here's an analogy for you. I'm hoping you guys like hockey because that's one of the few sports I did play growing up. And I was thinking of this and reading this story. 
On a team, any good team, you have your fourth line. Your fourth line's your checking line. Their sole task, their sole mission is to get out there, fervently pound by checking and forcing the opponent to the point they want to give up. They want to bash them through the boards. They want to wear them out, disorientate them to get them off their game plan, the coach would say. And any good fourth line that wreaks this havoc gets the team off their game. They start playing according to their game. They start playing according to their rules. To the point that they want to make this line change. And here we see a, a hockey coach. I remember my good coaches over the years. The good ones would get the team together. Guys, guys, get it together. This is not the way we play. This is not our game. This is not our game plan. Let's get back to business. Let's get back to business. And I, I couldn't help but think and think of this analogy that the Apostle Paul once told, I believe it was the Corinthians, or it was Galatians, sorry, saying, who's bewitched you? Who's crept in and has kept you from believing the truth? Who's that body-checking line that has gone out there and has dissuaded you and disorientated you to give up the way of faith? Who's cut in on you from believing the truth? And so here we see, in a way, this leadership group is the checking line of Satan. The reason why I say that is because Jesus said to his followers, look, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. As sheep among wolves. Check this out, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. This speaks to what we're talking about, being cool and calm under pressure. You ever watch Discovery Channel, you look at snakes. And I've done it from time to time to overcome my fear of snakes. I can't stand snakes. And I always would say, well, biblically, I want to be like Jesus and squash the snake. Can't stand them. Lucifer was a serpent. He crawled on his belly. So there you go. So here we have this be shrewd as a serpent. They're cunning. They're waiting for their time to strike. But if you notice with a serpent, it's not continuous striking. They strike once and for good. Once and for good. Their bite is lethal. And I got thinking about this. Well, wait a second. The way Peter and John responded. They, in a way, was a strike of truth once and with the proper effect. They were saying, this happened in the name of Jesus. And it goes on, it says here, when telling them to stop it, they say, whether it is right in the sight of God for, for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so back to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Beware of these people, because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. This hasn't happened to us yet. Some believers in other parts of the world, this has happened. Now, we know this is happening to Peter, John, in this story. And he says, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, remember this, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. 
Don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father who is speaking through you. Amen. I got a, just a marveled by this promise of Jesus. This will happen. Do not lose heart. I will give you the words to say. And so here the before the group of leaders and he gives them just the right words, the fire for effect, to pierce the heart. It says here, after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. And so here we see Peter and John were not aloof. They were doing some checking of their own. They were God's own power forwards out there. They were able to wreak havoc against the spiritual forces of darkness. Make no mistake, I think we're all in agreement here that there is a spiritual battle going on. We're in a spiritual warfare. We're not aloof about that, are we? The spiritual forces are at work day in and day out for us to have a callous heart towards God and his plan. And so the next point is calm boldness. So here we see as we continue on uh, chapter 4 verse 23 that in the midst of this mob after everything that happened the leaders couldn't refute them and so after they give this answer Peter and John they go and they meet with their other followers and they are able to acknowledge some key points here. They're able to acknowledge that misery likes company. Misery likes company. Darkness may seem to prevail. Birds of a feather may flock together, but those who are in Christ can rise above the storm and into the light. So let's look at verse 23. It says, After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together unto God, saying, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Here, the followers of Christ are quoting Psalm chapter 2, which I found really amazing because Peter, you know, he would have been aware to an extent of these different scriptures, but yet he was untrained, uneducated. So the Holy Spirit, I have to believe, was bringing this recollection of the word of God to them. And David, King David, he's the one who penned those words in Psalm chapter 2, aware of the forces that were pressing in against him and his kingship. Those who were going against God, who were in opposition against him and his ways. But God spoke to David through the prophet Samuel saying that God will set up an enduring kingdom through your line, through your seed, the Messiah would come. And so David believed that God would fulfill his promise. And so here they are acknowledging what had happened in the past, but also what God is going to do through this opposition. Look at verse 27. For in fact, 
In this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats, and that and grant your servants that we may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So in the midst of this, everything that has happened, Peter and John are counting themselves worthy of the gospel. They come into the the courts of their other believers and they're praising God. They're they're reminiscing of scripture together and they're being encouraged as they're proclaiming God's word together. That's similar to what we do when we meet here on Sunday afternoons. We're proclaiming God's word as we sing. We're proclaiming his word as we look back and see how the scripture teaches us and encourages us. And so by the same spirit, Peter and John and the believers in attendance were encouraged. While yet coming under fire, they were equipped, they were empowered to witness. Check out this promise from Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 15. And you have to set yourself in this story. If you, if I, if you guys would give me permission for you to do that this afternoon, put yourself in this story. Let these words speak to you directly. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from the Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Jesus said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you were not of this world, But I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. And so we don't have to stay in this place of this dread and despair. Point number two is pray for courage to endure. Pray for courage to endure. Here the followers are blazing a trail, if you will, how to remain cool and calm and bold under opposition, under great fire, is to pray Pray for God to see you through. Take note here, they didn't pray to be delivered from the opposition. That jumped out at me. I've prayed for deliverance from opposition at times and places. And yet they didn't pray for deliverance from the opposition. They didn't pray to be free from the persecution or the obstacles. But what did they pray for? Boldness. They pray that God would give them the courage to continue to witness. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Wow. With all boldness. And so here, I got to believe that remembering the words of their friend who said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. I've revealed everything that I've received from the Father to you. 
and I'm empowering you to go and you're going to bear fruit. And I believe the greatest fruit, friends, that you and I can produce with our life is soul winning. Don't get me wrong. We've emphasized at the very beginning, God transforms our heart and we're becoming like Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is essential to become like Christ. But the end goal, the end result is that no one would perish but come to everlasting life. And so the fruit that God desires of us is soul winning. That's the glorious, juicy fruit that's paired with his character to be patient, to be loving, to be self-controlled to be enduring when facing fire because we're friends of God. We used to sing that song in church. Maybe we should sing that sometime, worship team. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I remember singing that at youth group, at Choir of the Fire. Man, that place was roaring. You have to believe there were probably many in attendance that had never heard the words before, you're a friend of God. A lot of times we can feel this separation, this degree of separation of this lack of closeness because God is set apart. He's this holy God in heaven on the throne. But when Jesus says, you're my friends, it, I believe it strengthens that level of intimacy, doesn't it? There's a closeness there. And so I believe that because of this closeness, that Peter and John and the followers, they were able to stick it through when the mob was at the gate when the mob brought them before the council to tell them to stop it. But they stuck to the plan. They believed that God was working all this together for their good. It was all part of his plan. And so point number three, as we begin to transition in our time together, is put your life in God's hands. Put your life in in God's hands, because we're going to see here again as we read the, the last two verses that when we put our life in his hands, he's pleased with us. He's pleased with us and he's going to show up. He's going to show up in just the right manner because he sees all things. He knows all things. He knows what needs to be done. Sometimes we'll pray as the apostles did, pray for signs and wonders and miracles. He knows when and how they will produce the greatest effect. That's why that lame man was at the gate up until 40 years of age because it was the perfect timing. So here again, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God Boldly, they began to speak the word of God boldly. So here we see the importance of the Holy Spirit. This week as the worship team uh, prepares to um, come to lead us in worship and as we, uh, we have communion together, this week I had a, a conversation, and I had these conversations from time to time, um, and I'm not going to single anybody out. That's not my place. But I'm always surprised when there's opposition to the moving of God in one's life, in opposition to the Holy Spirit, in opposition to how he wants to move authentically and genuinely in their life. And when I was speaking with an individual this week, very truthfully, and I have to admit I'm it's, it's, it's good they were able to be honest, 
But also it made me sad because they said, you know, I, I don't believe that these signs, these works are for today. I just can't believe it. I believe they were timed. They're, they're not for today. And so I asked, do you believe in the power of prayer? Well, of course I do. Well, where does that source, where does that power come from? God. I'm like, great, amen. We can be in agreement there. Why do we confess and believe in prayer, but we jettison everything else? If prayer was the only thing that was required of us or essential in our walk with God, why would the followers of Jesus pray for boldness but also declare and believe that God would intervene in their midst with signs and wonders? So I want to encourage you this afternoon that when the firing squad is at the corner and they got you in the crosshairs, don't retreat. Don't retreat because of the opposition. Don't give in because of the threats or demands, whether and however de degreeing and severity they may be, because God is with us. May I say, let us be encouraged by Peter and John in the resolve, be motivated by their calm boldness, be motivated by their courage to stick it through, following the way of Jesus, despite everything that was going on around them. And the reason why they could do that is because they put their life in God's hands. Amen. And I really believe the time is going to come. And I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. When that time comes, because we've all had conversations to varying degrees, but nothing to the point where we've been hauled in before rulers and authorities and slapped with gag orders to stop it. But in some ways, it is slowly creeping in, and it's creeping into the church. There's assemblies been, been part of in the past where you would see the miraculous work of God. You would see people speaking in tongues, prophesying, seeing people laying hands on one another and being healed of all different kinds of infirmities. And yet in some of those assemblies, the leaders have decided to stop it because it made them uncomfortable, because they couldn't control it. They couldn't quite understand or box it in into the time frame that they had. But I, for one, I have no desire to go there. And I hope in Jesus' name that that's where you are too, because I believe that there's a remnant in the world today. The word says that there will always be a remnant in the last days. If you profess and you believe these things, you're part of the remnant of God. And he can work through you. Just say, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness to declare your truth. Give me boldness and a calm resolve, even under fire, to speak your truth without compromise. To speak your truth without compromise and yet with love and graciousness because God loves that person. We're all a work in progress. We're all seeing this through. And so this Halloween, as people are going around, and you know, kids are getting dressed up and they're enjoying time dressing up and, uh, and uh, you know, fairy taleness in, in many ways. As we look around, take a moment to pray for these families. You don't have to make it a public spectacle, but just praying that God would have their hand on their life. Just as he has his hand on your life. That the powers of darkness wouldn't, wouldn't be able to create a seed in their life. But rather, all that would be is just make-believe and nothing further. Because make no mistake, the enemy wants to plant seeds. The enemy wants to sow those seeds to cause division and to lead people away from faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so as we go to sing, I'm going to invite you, if you will, if you have your uh, communion emblems. In Luke chapter 22, verse 18, Jesus says this. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. And in a moment, we're going to return to another passage that refers to the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, the Lord, she told him. Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. And so I invite you to take these emblems. And as we share and partake of these together, we're believing in that Jesus is the true Messiah and Son of God. And as we take these emblems, say, let's be reminded that we won't be dissuaded. We won't be deterred in our faith in the risen Christ. He's our Savior, our healer, our deliverer, and our soon returning King. Because He is King. He's on the throne. And so I invite you to take your emblems as I read from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to take the bread and partake. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your broken body, God. Thank you, Jesus, mighty Savior, for your body that was broken for us. Broken for our transgression, pierced for our iniquities. And by your stripes, we are healed. In the same way, after he took the cup after supper, he said, this cup... Hold this in your hand for a moment and say, this cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in, in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Jesus, thank you that you came You lived, you showed us the way to the Father, you showed us the kingdom, and you gave your life to seal it, to make it so, to affirm to the world that you have broken the curse of sin and death, and that through faith in you that we are united with you in heavenly places, and that here that we are forgiven and set apart from the spiritual forces of darkness and have been transformed and transferred into your kingdom of marvelous light. For you are spirit and life. You are the way, you said, the truth and the life. Anyone who calls on to you will have the light that leads to life. And so we thank you for what you did on Calvary so many years ago. Thank you, Lord, that that blood is still sufficient, that it was given once and for all, that we are forgiven and that we can proclaim the gospel, the good news of your grace for all who call upon you. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. We give our life before you, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your broken body. We didn't deserve it, but you went before us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite you to join us as we sing and we respond. How truly great and faithful our Lord Jesus is. Amen. For he considered the task before him, going to the cross as joy before him, for he knew he could see through to the other side of what his mission would bring, life and liberty through faith in him. Through faith in him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Feel free to stand with us here if you feel welcome here as you worship here. Sing the song, Jesus, all for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.
thank you by your spirit that we can become more like you in this present age. Father, we thank you for the communion of sharing, of partaking of the, the, the bread of your broken body, the, the juice signifying your blood that was shed for the new covenant. Lord, we thank you of everything that you've done, everything that you've poured out, and that what you continue to do in and through our life because we believe who you are. We don't need signs. And yet we thank you that as we pray for boldness, as we have that calm resolve, Lord, that you show up in mighty ways that we could not fathom. Sometimes we cannot understand or imagine, ask or think, but you exceed all our expectation because you are truly wonderful, pleasing, and perfect. And so, Lord, as we wrap things up today and as we continue in your presence as we leave here. Thank you, Lord, that you are familiar with all our ways. That you go before us. Help us to be your witnesses, your representatives of your gospel. You are our everything. Help us to truly believe it, to speak it, and to live it. Jesus, in your name, amen, amen.